great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Hello, and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast, episode number fifty-four. My name is Adam. Today, I'm joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Uh, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. All right. Cool. Cool. This week, we'll be taking a look into the genius that was Stanley Kubrick in our review of Room 237. We have a new Kickstart Sunday project to highlight. This week, it's Cowboys and Engines, and we'll be interviewing the film's director, Bryn Pryor. We'll be making our weekly movie predictions, and finally, we'll be going over this week's DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's kick things off with some of what we've been watching. Kevin, we'll start off with you this week. Oh, starting with me. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, the first thing I watched was uh, the, the debut feature length from Roman Polanski, Knife mm-hmm. in the Water from 1962. Uh, I was pretty excited for this because <clears throat> he's so great with the, uh, the claustrophobic settings and the psychological torment and all that stuff. And it takes place on a sailboat. Mm. A young couple picks up a hitchhiker. And uh, essentially the entire film is uh, whose dick is bigger Hmm. contest between the two men. And that's it. And it's just over and over and over again. And to be quite honest, boring. Boring and repetitive. Mm. And dull. Just it was, I mean... A decent idea just but I, you know he gets a, he gets a pass it, it was his first film there were some things in it that you could see you know the beginning stages of mm-hmm. but I, it it'd be i'm curious to know like if i saw this in 1962 what i would have thought like what i would have been sitting there thinking like all oh, this guy's you got to look out for roman polanski or what i thought oh this guy sucks i don't know i don't either but I wouldn't recommend it, only if you're extremely into Roman Polanski. <laughs> I can't help but love the poster. <laughs> yeah, the poster on Letterboxd is awful. It is so terrible. Um, I then followed this up with finishing Star Wars. Oh, boy. Finished it. Return of the Jedi. What a journey. <laughs> But it is, it's finally come to a close. And I, I say, yes, it is over. I, I still do not count the next three. I'm done. This That's is good. it, Star Wars. Now, wait, will you see the new one? I, I don't know. Depends on, depends on how they look and what they're about. Um, again, Star Wars started off great. A lot of excitement, action. So much fun, you know. And then the Ewoks show up and it just nosedives and turns into just ridiculous, ridiculous bullshit. Fucking boring as all hell. They just completely ruined it. I mean, they sort of make up for it in the end because the end sort of, it ends on a high note. Mm -hmm. Except that they immediately crush that by having the fireworks and like the dancing and the shitty music and I got to see teddy bears dance again. (laughs) <laughs> but, 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 see, thing- but here's here's what i want to say real quick um as a kid though imagine you're you're like i don't know five 
when you see this, when you see Star Wars, wouldn't you think that Jedi would be your favorite? Uh, Five-year-old Kevin sees Star Wars. Maybe. Maybe. Because I think that's how it was for a lot of people. Because I loved Return of the Jedi when I was younger, but then when I got older... I see. I was, I'm like, I don't really... I don't mind the Ewoks too much. It's just they spent entirely too much time with them. I mean, the fact that you have C-3PO, fucking, it's like story time. They're all sitting around a campfire, and he's recounting the first two films to them. Mm-hmm. And it, like the Ewoks are snuggling up with Han Solo and stuff. I'm just like, you, you, come on. Are you serious? It just seemed like the whole bulk of the movie was... Like them reminiscing and patting themselves on the back, like yeah, the first two were really good. <laughs> they they were solid films. Let's just talk about how great they were. And the only other thing that I don't understand, um, Darth Vader. Okay, so he's supposed to be like a strong Jedi, strong with the dark force, and the Emperor is supposed to be like the strongest of them all, right? Yeah. So the Emperor is hitting him with the Raiden ship for like hitting Luke with the raid and stuff for, I don't know, minutes on end. And of course, Luke's just sitting there going like, Father, help me. It's just ridiculous. And then Vader picks up Emperor, just picks him up. You know, he's supposed to be this unbelievable, strongest Jedi, whatever. Just picks him up like he's a piece of furniture and throws him over over the banister. He gets hit with the raid and stuff for, what, like five seconds? And that kills him? Are you serious? While Luke is getting it like nonstop, well, it's just it's so anticlimactic. It's just like pick him up like he's a fucking floor lamp and just toss him over. Yeah, that's what happened. It was sad. (laughs) It was sad. Just it's so disappointed, and I I hate Ewoks. Just hate them. Yeah, I don't I don't really like them, but I don't have a big problem with them. Uh, then I watched uh, two short films, one by Godard, another one by Eric Romare. Uh, All the Boys Are Called Patrick, which is by Jean-Luc Godard, and a modern co-ed. Uh, modern co-ed's essentially just like a documentary short about uh, co-eds in France. I mean, nothing special. Uh, All the Boys Are Called Patrick is essentially two female roommates that bump into the same guy minutes apart. And he uses essentially the same tactics. They pick up both of them and then they both go home and they're talking about how they fell in love and they're going to meet this guy later. And then they find out, of course, at the end. But while they're sitting at a cafe having drinks, there's a guy reading a newspaper in the background and the newspaper's headline says, French cinema is dying under the weight of false legends. Godard does not like previous French filmmakers at all. So I thought that was it's like a little little ribbon there, a little shot at him. Hmm. But still, it was decent. I mean, you can just read that somewhere, and you already know that if you watch enough Godard. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one. It was like his first French New Wave film, really. It's only like 13 minutes long or something. Don't really recommend it. Then I watched Nothing But a Man, which is apparently a African American cinema gem. And I was disappointed that it played. There was a 35 millimeter print that played at the Charles a couple weeks back, but I missed it because I haven't the work. So I got to see it on shitty DVD. Hmm. 
Um, this is a great movie. It's like it has to be one of the most important black films to exist. And it's sad that it doesn't have like a proper release. I'm, I'm sort of surprised that this isn't on Criterion because it, it deserves to be. And one of the great things about this, which I don't know if you're a fan of Yafet Kodo. Sure. Are you a fan? Yeah. Alien? Early, 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 early Yafet Kodo. Well, I make it sound like he's five years old in this. He's not five years. He's like 20-some years old. But he does a decent job. This is a great movie. Highly recommend it. See it if you can. Nothing But a Man, 1964. Yes, by Michael Romero. Great film. Uh, and then I finally got to watch Side Effects. Oh, yeah. And I'm bummed out that we didn't get to discuss it last week. Yep. Uh, this is a great film. We'll have, to do some, we'll have to do some spoiler discussion off the air. Yeah, this was this was great. I, and to be quite honest, I had no idea what this was about. I never watched any of the trailers for side effects, except for like a minute before we went to the movie theater. And it starts out one way and then completely shifts and just twists and turns at all the right places. Every scene, every shot is important. There's nothing superfluous about anything in this film uh it was good to see jude law in a good role and also rooney mara is she's a damn good actress i have to say you know she got her start in the nightmare on elm street remake (laughs) no i did not know that yeah well she's she's come a long way (laughs) yeah she's come a long way gotta give her that um one little uh, side note to this, it was a very bizarre experience because, you know, seeing it in my small town, the first trailer I see is Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers, mm. which mm. that in and of itself is the, like, you know, to see a Harmony Corinne trailer in the movie theater, very bizarre. But the fact that it was followed by Tyler Perry's uh Whatever his no, new I know, I know film which is one, called. Yeah, I saw the, that trailer in my screening too. I know exactly the one you're talking about. I just about. thought it was the most bizarre, wonderful thing I've ever seen. I just, I loved it. Tyler Perry's Temptation. Yeah. Oh, God, that looks so bad. I love that he he has to have his name in the title. Like, it's not called Temptation. It's called Tyler Perry's Temptation. Well, I'm sure that that's because it sells better with his name on it. I'm sure that's why they do it. Just like Guillermo del Toro. Throw his name on it. Yeah. Sell more tickets. Uh, But back to side effects, the beautiful cinematography. And I love the fact that Soderbergh does his own cinematography. To me, it was like Soderbergh's version of a Hitchcock movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just beautiful to watch. The color scheme, everything about it. Yeah, his framing, everything was just—it was fantastic. I hope he's not retired. I, I same here. But again, I can see—you know—he's supposed to be retiring to focus on painting, and you could sort of see it in that film. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I, I would be—I wouldn't—I would be surprised if he didn't come back at some point. You know, he might take a couple years off. Yeah, he deserves it. I mean, he's been cranking him out last many many years actually indeed and uh that's yeah that's it that's all i got 
Uh, I had a pretty decent week here. I saw. I started off with Brandon Cronenberg's Antiviral. I loved this movie. It was everything. I mean, it was very, very similar to a David Cronenberg movie, his father, and it was it was like a throwback to the older Cronenberg stuff, because you know. David Cronenberg has kind of gotten away from his signature themes that he always has in his movie, like body image themes and that and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's almost as if his son was like, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pick it up, pick up the mantle, and go full force in. <clears throat> this movie looks amazing. the The story is uh, really really compelling. I mean, it's all about how in the in the near future we become so obsessed with celebrities and celebrity culture that we actually buy the illnesses that celebrities get and have them injected into us so that we can share the same viruses and things mm, it sounds crazy but it wouldn't surprise me yeah i mean it's a crazy movie. It's weird. It's got a lot of weird imagery. It's an awesome thriller. I just can't say I, enough about it. It was. I, I'm extremely excited to yeah, see this. It was really good. We'll probably talk about it more after you see it. Uh, right. One movie that I know you're not going to see <laughs> was my, the next one on my list here is Girls Against Boys. Girls Against Boys. This is kind of, uh, you know, one of these purposely made exploitation films and it's horrible in every way. I hated it. It was completely pointless. Uh, it was just, it was so dumb. I mean, it was a revenge story about these girls that have been in some way, in some way or another uh, wronged by men. And they basically just go on a killing spree against every guy that uh, crosses their path, and it's stupid. <laughs> it's just, it sounds awful. It's so dumb. Like the the end, the, there's like a twist at the end, and it's really dumb. It's just a terrible movie. Probably one of the worst movies I've seen so far this year. Uh, then I followed that up with Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry from 1974. This is actually. The title. I love the title. <laughs> yeah. This is actually my Grindhouse Weekly uh, feature this week, and it stars uh, Susan George and Peter Fonda, and it's basically uh, kind of a kid-friendly, not kid-friendly, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's a kid's movie. It is rated PG, but I think by today's standards, it would be PG-13, but it's kind of like Vanishing Point. It's almost exactly like Vanishing Point. The whole premise is Peter Fonda and Adam Rourke are these. Um, uh, uh, Peter Fonda is a race car driver. Adam Rourke is his mechanic. They hatch this scheme to rob a grocery store in order to get money to buy a new car. Susan George plays this kind of slutty girl that has a one night stand with Peter Fonda and then ends up tagging along uh, while they try to evade the police after robbing mm-hmm. this grocery store. And nearly the whole movie is. The chase. It was really, it was actually really fun to watch. Uh, the dialogue is the by far the best part. The banter between the three characters was 
amazing. Like it felt very real, but it was really snappy, really fast and really good. I mean, there was a lot of like really great one-liners and jabs that they would always be taking at each other. And it was just, it was just a fun movie, but it is very similar to Vanishing Point. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the end, which is like a huge spoiler for those of you that have seen Vanishing Point. The end is pretty much the same. Uh, Mm. Then I saw The Last Movie by Dennis Hopper. This was directed by Dennis Hopper. And (laughs) you got to see this movie if you haven't, Kevin. (laughs) It is such an odd thing. Like, you don't really even know what you're watching. You're just like, what what is this? Uh, It's basically about a film crew that goes to Peru and they are shooting this Western movie down in in Peru. And they, the film wraps and Dennis Hopper stays there and just decides to live there. And he shacks up with this uh, prostitute and just parties pretty much all the time. But then what happens is the, the, the villagers, and this is like semi-autobiographical, apparently. And the villagers apparently can't differentiate between what's real and what's like movie <laughs> magic. Oh, so, they, so they start like reenacting all the things that happened in the movie. But they're like, when they do, like, say there's a fight scene, they really fight. Like, they really punch each other. And Dennis Hopper's like continuously trying to tell them that what they did was not real and all this stuff. And... It's it's kind it's of a, a, it's an interesting idea. I from from what you're telling me, from what I'm reading, it sounds very interesting. Yeah, and it's like part it's part documentary too, which is even more strange. Like some of the things are real that are happening in it. Uh, the way that it's edited is really odd too. It's just a weird movie. It's kind of like a drug trip movie. Yes. Uh, it, from I, Dennis from Dennis Hopper. Yeah, no. let me tell you, Dennis Hopper, man, back then he was crazy. And as a companion piece for this movie is the next movie I saw, which is called The American Dreamer. This also came this came out in the same year as the last movie. And basically, this is a documentary about Dennis Hopper and his yeah. and his life during that time. And it's after the documentary takes place after he wrapped the last movie and it was during the editing process and it's such a crazy documentary too it's basically just a lot of voiceovers of dennis hopper kind of giving his life philosophy and shooting guns out in the desert and having orgies (laughs) and yes and uh, i was just i was surprised at how graphic this movie was i mean like they show Dennis Hopper performing oral sex on a woman. <laughs> it's cool. yeah, it's crazy. Wow, how about that? So, if you want to learn more about Dennis Hopper and how insane he was back in the day and how just wild his life was, <laughs> uh, you can check out the American Dreamer. It's actually free on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Oh. There we go. Yeah. It's a pretty shitty copy, but it was the only one I could find anywhere. So, mm. yeah. Uh, and then I saw Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. Yes. 
All right. This I'm is with you. This is considered kind of a cult classic. Uh, I was actually watching this for next week's Grindhouse Weekly feature. I don't know if I'm going to write about this yet or not. This movie, yeah, you are. No, you're going to do it. Okay, you're going to watch the you're going to watch the trilogy. Uh, I actually kind of skimmed through the trilogy in preparation for writing the article. I didn't watch all three of them. I uh, don't think awesome. that I'd be able to stomach watching all three of them. These movies are so bad. Like, come on, harem keeper, of the oil sheiks. <sighs> yeah, Are you kidding me? They're, it's not. It's not like they're they're poorly made. I mean, they're they're competently made. It's just that I'm not into this. I'm not into torture porn films. Mm. Like I I'm never I mean, I guess the hostile movies were okay, but I'm generally not into movies that involve torture, especially like sexual torture. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of really horrible things that happen in this movie. I mean, this this came out in 1975, and it's intensely graphic. I mean, this is borderline softcore porn. Ugh. Basically, it's just about this woman who's uh, a leader of... Uh, she's a warden at a concentration camp that focuses on doing experiments <laughs> on the female prisoners... And it, it's like exploitation at its worst. It's just, mm. uh, there's no redeeming qualities. It's not fun. It's just horrible in every way. <laughs> Graphic. Uh. It, it It's disturbing. It's bloody. It's violent. It's, it's hard to recommend. She does piss on somebody's face, though. So that's two weeks in a row now. I know it's it's the good thing about in Ilsa is that they don't actually show it like you can just hear it. <laughs> so at least I didn't have to witness it going on to the uh, guy's face. So the first week you saw it, second week you heard it. Mm-hmm. Next week you're going to taste it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Or smell it. Maybe there's that John Waters uh, odorama. Yeah, there there you go. There you go. <laughs> Which which one was that that he did? Was it polyester that had the odorama, or was it? I think it, I think it was polyester. I think which it was. again that they showed a new print of that at the Charles. Oh, and I missed it. I didn't. Polyester was almost too much for me. I mean, I guess nothing can be worse than pink flamingos. But uh, and then I ended off the week with a Korean film called The Thieves, and I I loved this movie as well. This is. I'm a sucker for heist movies, and I'm also a huge fan of Asian cinema. So this was pretty much everything that I wanted in a movie. It was it was light, it was fun, had a lot of comedy in it, but at the same time, there was some really awesome action. Uh, a lot of wire work was done, and I, and by wire work, I don't mean like wire foo, where it's like invisible wires. I mean like scaling buildings and uh-huh. zip lining yeah. and that type of thing. And which was really cool, looked awesome. Uh, basically, it was like an Asian version of an Ocean's movie. Had a huge cast, and the whole premise was very similar to an Ocean's film. You had a group of master thieves from Korea meet up with a group of master thieves from China, and they have to team up in order to rob this casino, specifically this woman 
that's in this casino of this $30 million diamond that she has. And there's so many twists and turns that happen throughout this movie. Like they're constantly double crossing each other. And it was, it was so much fun. I highly recommend it. I mean, if you like the oceans movies, you should definitely like this. I can see how some people might have an issue with it being so similar, but it didn't bother me at all because like the action was so much better than in any Oceans movie. I mean, there was like martial arts and fighting and stuff, and it, it was just a fun ride. <laughs> Highly recommend it. It's called The Thieves. It's by director Dong Hoon Choi. Probably pronouncing that wrong. No, no, you nailed it. That's perfect. And it was interesting because it was kind of like a Korean-Chinese collaboration. Um, part of the movie was in Korean, some of it was in Chinese, some of it was in English. I, I like it when they do that in movies and mix it up. And It was awesome. That's it. That's it. That's All right, there we go. All right, well, um, let's just jump right in to our Kickstart Sunday feature. This week we're going to be talking with director Bryn Pryor on his film Cowboys and Engines. This is a short film set in a steampunk world. So we had a chance to sit down with Bryn, have a chat about the movie. So let's give that a listen. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, maybe how you got into film? Uh, I started making movies when I was about nine years old, was I think my first stop motion movie, um, which was Star Wars action figures, uh, fighting it out in a little cantina set, which was tough because Star Wars action figures didn't bend. Right. Yeah. They had like four joints. So that that made it a little tough. Um, But... uh, I actually I went to film school in Arizona and um, ended up uh, making a bunch of shorts that are very embarrassing. That uh, every every year or two I'll pick something new and and do like some crazy overblown version of it on DVD or Blu-ray and send it off to all the people who worked on it 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's just ever more embarrassing. And then uh, when I got out to LA, I actually went to work for Roger Corman at Concord Studios. Um, which, uh, was, you know, quality was like job seven. It was kind of like Ford at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I actually directed four really horrible movies for Roger. Um, they were, they were, you know, four day features where, uh, I would, things would happen. Like I had, uh, Mickey Rourke as my lead in one movie and I had him for one day. He was my lead. (laughs) He was my main actor. And uh, he showed up two hours late and walked in, and the first words out of his mouth were, when's lunch? Like, okay, this is, this is going to be an awesome movie. Uh, and uh, then uh, because of some internal politics at Corman, um, just before he ended up selling Concord, I got canned from Concord. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was young, and I was emotionally fragile, and I, I just kind of climbed in a hole for two years. And by the time I, I came out... I, there was no way to capitalize on anything I'd done there because, you know, Roger never lost a penny. And so when he sold Concord, he sold all the credits to mm. everything. So other than the fact that there's a couple of those movies that I'm in just because, like, actors show up. Like, there's one that I play a district attorney in because the guy who was supposed to do it just <laughs> didn't show up that day and nobody knew where he was. I'm like, okay, let me go get my suit. Um uh, other than that, I think one of them now I'm listed back on as the director on IMDb, which is a shame because it's just it's a terrible movie. <laughs> uh, 
there's like three directors on it because the company that bought it, uh, it's called The Coroner now. When I shot it, it was called Cloak of Madness. Um, that's the other thing is there's two of them. I don't even know what they're called. I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know what they ended up being called. I have no idea. Um, one, when I shot it, it was called uh, – I don't even remember what it was called. Now it's called Double Cross 2. I don't know what Double Cross was. So apparently I directed the sequel to something that I'd never seen. I don't, I don't know how that works. Um, so, but anyway, uh, and I had contacts through some publishing work that I'd done in the adult industry, and I ran stores in Arizona. So uh, I ended up directing porn for years just because it, it was very similar to working at Concord. You know, it's like, look, we're not making art, we're making widgets. Get it done. Boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I've made a couple of other runs at trying to do something that I care about. I directed a feature film called Poker. Which, uh, you know, I always tell people, if they ask my advice, I would do this, so don't do that. Um, because I just, I have a history of making the worst decisions in the world. We, uh, we, we were trying to figure out when we, when we made poker, we said, okay, we have enough money to make one movie. We can either make some TNA slasher movie, which I had distribution contacts for. Like, I can get this thing sold and released, no problem. And we can make two or three of these, we can make some money, and then we can make something that we care about. Or we can make art. Well, Mm -hmm. guess which way we went. (laughs) (laughs) So I have this great little art movie that also through my own hubris, we shot on 35 millimeter. And then had I shot on 16, the movie would be done. It would have been sold somewhere. It would have been released. Shot on 35. There's no way that I – I never had the money to finish. We took a work in progress cut to IFP East and one – I think the – it was. I think it's like. I think it's almost like the dog show. I think they call it best in show. Um, mm. So we got best in show at IFP East, and we showed it at the Angel City Film Festival and got uh, uh, best new film at the Angel City Film Festival. And and then nothing ever happened with it because there's there's no one in it that anybody's heard of, and it's a great little movie about people sitting around talking for ninety minutes and nobody wants to see that. So mm. so Cowboys and Edges is is shot three at trying to do something that I actually, you know, really care about and, and trying to listen to other people when they go, okay, this is stupid. All right, fine. Then we won't do that. So that, that, that's my history. And, and it's, it's sad and it's, it's, uh, it's mine and I'll own it. So. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Let's talk about Cowboys and Engines. First, I, wanna, I wanted to ask the whole steampunk thing. Maybe we can talk about that because I think that there's probably a lot of people that don't really know what steampunk is or maybe what the draw of steampunk is. So maybe we can talk about that in general first. Sure. Before getting into the movie. Um, steampunk is one of those things that's very hard to define in that it's kind of like jazz, you know, which is if you don't know what it is, you just don't know what it is. Um how I always describe it to people is it's mixing genres uh, largely with a Victorian flair. And, and so what it is, it's, it's science fiction set before its time. So mm-hmm. it's Victorian era science fiction. And the, the best analog that we have is, is, of course, Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, what they were writing at the time, science fiction for their time. And if you wanted to get to the moon in those days, how did you do it? Well, H.G. Wells did it on a, in a giant iron sphere that they threw to the moon with a magnet. 
because that was what they could imagine. Okay, well, that was kind of the invention of steampunk or things like that. So it's it's taking uh, ideas that were ahead of their time and then setting them in technology that you could believe worked at that time. So ours is set in 1876, and I'm shooting the movie as a Western. But that being said, there are rockets, and there's a girl that rides a mechanical horse, and every you know, there there are a lot of airships. There's zeppelins, there's dirigibles that uh, have largely taken the place of what the railroads actually did in the real old west because of the heavy lifting abilities. It's cheap and all of that, you know, those economics of scale, and um, what that allows you to do. What I think the appeal of steampunk is, is it's a way to take something. And make it fresh. Um, for a lot of people, it's simply the aesthetics. Because, of course, what the Victorians uh, did better than anybody was beautiful craftsmanship. Everything was gorgeous. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what it was or what it did or if it was practical. It was beautifully made. Oftentimes, it was a lot chunkier and more ornate than it needed to be. Um, and so that has sort of given rise to this steampunk aesthetic that. Uh, um, According to Forbes, is going to be all the rage in fashion this year. So I guess we're, I guess we're right at the the head of the curve, which is nice. Hmm. Um, but so what steampunk is in essence is it's Victorian science fiction, um, and then it, it, everything has sort of an, an interesting um, kind of chunky look to it, uh, which anybody who's ever been to Comic Con has seen the guys from there's a group in California called League of Steam that is a big steampunk group. And you'll see these guys with these amazing, you know, the, like there's a group of 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 Victorian era Ghostbusters guys, the guys from mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. They have and they have their huge um oak and brass uh proton accelerators on their backs and they have, you know, and and, and that stuff is all gorgeous. That's not the movie that I'm making because the minute you see these guys wearing this stuff, you realize Wow, that really doesn't work in the real world. So that's why I'm approaching it as just a Western. Is I want to strip a lot of the kind of extraneous crap off of it and make it believable because I like the aesthetic and I like the idea of the aesthetic. But I also have to be able to believe that it works. And if I look at something and think, yeah, that's just just not practical, then it's not going to happen. So, you know, it's – my version of steampunk is going to be a little more stripped down, I think, than than if you just go to the internet and you Google steampunk, you're going to see some. You're going to find some guy who has goggles and uh, huge <laughs> face whiskers and a vest, and probably uh, everything has just weird abstract gears and clocks for no reason. And I'm not doing that. Like we're not decorating clothing with by sewing gears onto them, just because I don't believe that that been decoration at the time. It's like you know, it would be like sewing um, uh, circuit boards onto your clothing now. Well, I think probably Jean-Paul Gaultier tried that 15 years ago, but it didn't really fly. You know, it, you just wouldn't believe that somebody's going to go walking around with something that's so ubiquitous as a piece of decoration on their clothing. Mm-hmm. So that's, this is not going to work. I don't know if I answered your question because uh, I got distracted, no, I think- but I do that. Shiny thing. Oh. I think that I think that covers. Yeah, I, I think I that. have a little bit more insight into what steampunk is. Yeah, because uh, I mean, really, all I knew was that it was people that dressed up in Victorian era things and had crazy like clockwork gadgets and stuff. Yeah, right. that's that's I, the only things that I ever thought of was Jules Verne and Jean Pierre Jeunet. 
Well, and and to yeah. an extent, that's right. And I mean, that's that's sort of that's the root of it. Um, but I don't think that that like everything else in any kind of genre fiction, I don't think that that it has to be that rigidly defined. I think that yeah, you know, I I, I mean. I hope that steampunk fans will like this, and I'm pretty sure that they will. But the fact of the matter is that I'm picking the movie that I want to see. So, you know, if I'm happy with it, then at the end of the day, okay, great. And if they're not, then they can tell me that it sucks, and I'll be fine with that. It's okay. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about the movie itself. So this is going to be a short film, is that correct? Yeah. And um, maybe tell us a little bit about the story and the cast. The story follows uh, Cade Ballard, who is uh, a former ambassador for the nation of Texas. In my 1876, there are actually five nations occupying North America. Um, and the Civil War has been going on for uh, almost 20 years. Um, and Cade uh, has left Texas because he actually saved Lincoln from being assassinated. And as a result, he has become kind of a, a worldwide celebrity but has also, in a sense, become a man without a country because while Texas was not at war with the United States, they're not friendly with the United States, and it was hard for people back home to understand why he would have done that when this was the leader of tacitly an enemy government. So Kate just really is is sort of a man who's at the end of his tether. He's played by Jeff Kanata from the Totally Rad Show, who uh, uh, just is is amazing in the part. Um, Big and, fan. And Cade um, ends up meeting this woman, Guinevere Wheeler, played by Libby Letlow, who uh, Gwen's been a lot of things in her life. She's, uh, she's been you know, she, she's a, a card cheat and a con artist and uh, probably been in more than a few gunfights and definitely been in more than a few fistfights. And um, she's kind of the charming rogue of the thing, which I like. You don't normally get that in your female characters, you know. And um, he meets Guinevere. And these are two people who believe that they've probably seen everything they're going to see. And it's not necessarily a romantic connection, but each one of them meets someone who they genuinely find sort of unique and interesting for the first time in a long time. Uh, and as a result, Guinevere almost feels bad about taking advantage of Kate and stealing his horse and leaving him in the middle of the desert. Um, but uh, they end up following each other and getting embroiled with uh, Professor Timian, who's played by Walter Koenig from Star Trek. Um, who has uh, created a machine that I, I kind of want to be vague about because it's, it's sort mm -hmm. of the, the, the MacGuffin of the piece. Um, it's not a time machine. It is called the temporal engine, and obviously it does something with time, but it's not a time machine. Um, uh, but he has created this machine, which is now in the hands of a man named Dr. Clay, who you could describe as the villain of the piece. I don't really like to think in terms of heroes and villains because I think it's just kind of tired. Um, and I also don't believe that there is such a thing. I, you know, I think if you approach a character like that, you're going to end up with somebody two-dimensional. You're going to end up with uh, you're going to end up with the guy from Die Hard Three, who's like a cartoon character. Mm -hmm. um, I always like to approach characters as you know, what do they want and what are they doing to get it? And what Clay wants is to unify North America. The the war is taking a horrible toll on most of the nations, and 
he believes that just as Napoleon did uh, 60 years earlier in France, that he can unify these five nations. So he thinks of himself as a conqueror. He thinks of himself as a, a modern-day Alexander. And he has gotten his hands on this machine that has this amazing destructive potential and has a plan for using it to be able to uh, basically to, to conquer North America. Um, unfortunately, he needs to destroy San Francisco to do it. So uh, they're, they, they're kind of interested in stopping him from doing that. And um, uh, hilarity ensues. No. Uh, <laughs> So they end up chasing him across North America, and, uh, uh, and they end up in San Francisco trying to uh, stop him from uh, destroying the city. Hmm. Well, it sounds like it sounds like that's a lot of material to fit into a short film. It's, it's, it's a little bit much. Um, here's the thing: what we're doing is actually it, it's it's a trick. It's smoke and mirrors. I realized um, that the best way to approach a short. Uh, is not necessarily one unified narrative. So what this, what the short actually is, we're going to get three cuts out of it. And the reason for that is that it's designed to be a piece for film festivals. Um, for the first year after we finish, unless somebody donates on Kickstarter, gets the Blu-ray, the DVD, you're not going to be able to find this online. We're not going to shoot it in June. And then on July 1st, it's available online for everybody to go see the various versions. Um, it's only going to be in film festivals for that first year. And there are some festivals that will only take shorts that are 10 or 15 minutes. And for them, um, the, fir- the opening scene of the piece basically works as its own encapsulated story, which is mm. when – and it's, it's actually the first scene from the movie, um, from the full feature script, which is when Guinevere and Cade meet. Uh, the longer version, which is for festivals that will take shorts up to half an hour, which is what we call the festival cut, is – that first opening scene and then a selection of scenes from the full feature script that basically give you the full arc of the movie, mm, which is how okay. we manage to get all of that in. Um, there, obviously, you're not going to get a lot of the connective tissue, um, although there are a couple of the scenes that are strictly there to be character bits that are really great, that give you sort of some insight into the characters, but they also give you a little bit of the story. Um, so that longer version, it gives you the sense and the flavor of what the whole story would be. But obviously, we're not trying to cram two hours of narrative into a half-hour movie because that's just, right. just going to suck. So That sounds like an interesting way to do it. Yeah, and, and I, I hope it'll work. Um, I haven't really seen anything done like this. I have to say that, you know, I, I think we're, we're – I hate to say breaking new ground because I think everything in film in some sense has been done. It's such an old medium, but I I haven't seen it. Um, My head might be completely up my ass and it might be the worst idea ever, but I, (laughs) it's, I don't know. We're hopeful. We'll know when we get an editing and by then it will be too late. So, yeah. Well, um, why don't we talk about some of the incentives on this project? Yeah. Uh, we actually we have some great stuff up on Kickstarter. We have some we have some stuff that is also you know incredibly bizarre. Like if you're uh, a huge fan of my producer James Dean, who of course is you know mm-hmm. uh, according to IMDb is one of the like 800 most famous people in the movie business right now, which I kind of find frightening because I've known him for years. Um, but uh, so you know if you desperately want a date with James Dean, you can go to <laughs> Kickstarter. You can get a date with James Dean, and three women have so. <laughs> Wow. 
charged up $2,000 a piece for a date with James D. So, you know, God bless him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there are actually speaking parts available in the movie, uh, which um, those, and those are, if you go to our website, which is uh, Cowboys and Engines, the movie, um, or the, the easy way for people to find it, by the way, I always tell people is just Google Cowboys and Engines. doesn't matter how you spell it. doesn't matter what you say. You'll come up with one of two things first, which is either our Kickstarter or our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but the actual pages for those scenes are on our website. And then for people who don't want to spend thousands of dollars, and certainly we don't expect you to, um, you can get a bunch of stuff. There's, there's a model of one of the rockets from the movie. There's, uh, there are packages that have, you know, posters and scripts and a book that I'm actually writing about the alternate history of this 1876 because I keep getting all of these questions about well, why did this and why did this and you know when I when I started coming up with the story I'm so anal retentive I couldn't just say well this is 1876 and this is how it is I had to figure out mm-hmm. everything got to be where it is and I actually traced I went back I have the timetables of history books that have all of the major events from each year. And I went back through those and figured out, okay, this wouldn't have happened here. This would have happened sooner. This wouldn't have been done by this person. This would have been done by this person. Um, and I ended up in the 12th century is where our timeline starts to diverge. When two very key pieces of technology come to the West from China a few decades sooner than they actually did, specifically the blast furnace and the sailor's compass arrived in the West about 20 years earlier because a particular storm didn't destroy a particular ship that brought those into the West. So I'm a lunatic when it comes to this. <laughs> um, but so there's a book that basically details this stuff. I, I actually, and I did that because I've actually been getting a lot of questions about that. And I have, I have people who are really excited about this book. I'm like, fuck, really? I was kind of hoping nobody would buy it. <laughs> I was really kinda, we're going to put Nobody's going to want this. I've got so many freaking questions about the book. So, because I have writing it, but like, man, really? I have to write this like 60, 80 page thing about the history of this world? Yes. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Because people want it. So, you know, because so, we're just trying to come up with stuff that people haven't done. Um, this week, we're going to start uh, actually offering stuff that's only going to be for people who have already donated if they want to add on to their existing donation and those are going to be things like um we're going to we have three different still photographers who are going to be working throughout the production and on the course of the movie and you know obviously doing press kits and epk and all of that stuff and um so what we're going to do is you know we're going to everybody who's already donated we're going to give them the chance that if they want to bump up x amount that everybody's going to get a unique signed print from the movie so in other words, it's not going to be everybody gets the same picture signed. It's going to be everyone gets an 8 by 10 that nobody else has because nobody else mm. is going to have it printed um, of something that happened during production of the movie or one of the publicity still signed by everybody. And that'll be their own unique print that no one else will have that print. Um, That's cool. Uh, I'm going to do things like we're going to, I'm going to, I got to talk to everybody in the cast. I'm pretty sure Richard Hatch will do it. I don't know that Walter Koenig will do it because he's, he, he kind of hates like being on the phone. Um, uh, I'm sure that Jeff will do it. I know that James Dean will do it. And uh, God, if anybody wants it, I would do it or Libby would do it or anybody, but uh, I'm going to throw up a thing that uh, we'll do your voicemail reading. Mm -hmm. You know, pick somebody, pick James Dean will do your voice. God help you if you let Tim do it because it's going to be obnoxious. Your mom is going to call. <laughs> Who's that horrible man on your phone? Uh, 
You can tell him what you want him to say, but he's going to say whatever he wants. So. <laughs> I think I might do that and, and give it as a gift to Kevin. See, wouldn't that be odd? <laughs> hey, just, no, no one calls me, so <laughs> no, yeah. it would be wasted. <laughs> um, but so, you know, stuff like that that's just kind of fun is going to be going up this week. And then we're finally going to offer, because people have been after for it for a while, and I wanted to wait uh, until we got closer to the end, um, credit in the movie. You know, people want to see their name in the movie. And mm. I didn't want uh, just because, uh, you know, I, I just think it looks crappy. I didn't want a thousand people at the end under special thanks. I just, it's like, really? You know? Yeah. It's bad. Um, so we're only going to offer that to people who've already donated, uh, who got on board early. And then it's going to be for a very limited time. It's going to be like, okay, for the next 48 hours, add in money and you get in the special thanks. And we'll see what happens. And yeah. He goes, you know, we don't care. <laughs> Right. I don't care. So. All right. Well, uh, let's see. You have you, you're looking for a hundred thousand total for the project. You're currently at forty nine three sixty four, and you have twenty days to go. So, I think you have a chance. Uh, you have I think yeah, you have a good chance here. What what normally happens with Kickstarter, and this is my first one, but I was just uh, we were at a thing this week that we had eight different people who've all done successful Kickstarters, and everyone says that. Really, in your last five days, it just becomes that's when everybody comes in to donate. Yep. And then that being said, we also that number is actually uh, 59 because there's another 10,000 that's being put in by one of my executive producers over the next few days. Um, he's just, we're waiting because we're waiting to make a huge casting announcement this week. And uh, once we do that, then he's going to put in that money because it's just, it's all politics. Um, right. It's ridiculous. Um, so there's, there's, you know, so it's actually we're closer to sixty. So I think we're actually doing real good. Yeah, I think I think that you're you're well on your way. Uh, okay, well, thank you so much for taking some time to check in with us and tell us about the project. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Bryn, for taking the time to talk with us. You can find out more about Cowboys and Engines by visiting our site at filmpulse.net. Uh, we should have the Kickstart Sunday article still on the homepage. If not, just go to the blog section under Kickstart Sunday. There will also be a widget on the side of the site there that has all the information. And just Google Cowboys and Engines, like he said, for more. We also were able to go to a table read for the film, and that article should also be on the site. All right, let's go ahead and kick off our review of Room 237. This is a documentary directed by Rodney Asher, and it IMDb says a subjective documentary that explores the numerous theories about the hidden meanings within Stanley Kubrick's film The Shining. I guess I'll start it off. I didn't... I don't know. I, <laughs> not starting it off well. I, I liked some elements of this movie, I did feel like the documentary on a technical level was kind of amateurish and there were there were some elements of it that I really liked but then some parts of it I just it didn't gel with me and the theories that some of the people talk about I had serious issues with <laughs> what uh, you didn't so think, you didn't think that they were plausible no uh, all right, so there's been a lot of kind of conspiracy theories behind The Shining. This this has been 
going on. People have been discussing this for, for years and years. And while I do believe that there were some things that they explored in the movie that, that did seem odd, I will admit that. Like there were there were some things where it was like that's just that's just too weird to just be a continuity error or you know there certain elements but a lot of it I thought people were reaching oh yeah oh yeah there's there's this definitely some grasping at straws yeah now uh what I took away from the movie is there seemed to be kind of three main theories behind it one was that it was uh symbolic of world war ii one was that it was symbolic of um the genocide of native americans and one was that we faked the moon landing and to me the one that made the most sense was the moon landing (laughs) i mean i i i can slightly believe it now the way I look at it is if we did indeed fake the moon landing, I think that it's probably not as uh, nefarious as people think. I would say that they, we were probably on the moon. They just didn't really have means of exactly. footage, and, so they just faked it. And that that's the theory. That's the theory. Um, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that is in the movie – that discusses that in room 237 he's also the creator of the film kubrick's odyssey that gets into more detail about that theory and that one seems the most plausible to me it seems to make the most sense like all the the hidden imagery and stuff that's in the movie i could see that pointing to that more than some of the random things that some of the other people point See, out yeah that's jay wadener yes yes that guy the most plausible to me would be the native american bill blakemore's um take on the film but also i mean my i can see where everyone's coming from i can see where bill blakemore's coming from jeffrey cox jay wadener um the only two people that i don't see where they're coming from is julie kearns yeah. uh i, I minotaur <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a person skiing. Like, that was a real reach to be like, it's a Minotaur. Yeah, I didn't see that at all. And I, now we know Kubrick. Kubrick's the type of director that everything, almost everything has a hidden meaning. And he puts a lot of thought into his films. Um, So they can easily be read into. And if you think about it, if you're going to have a maze in it, of course he's probably going to you know, allude to minotaurs and stuff like that. But I mean, to base, like that's your entire reading of the film. And I, I mean, I gotta say Julie Kearns, it felt like she was making it up as they were going along. Yeah. It's like she was watching the film as they were interviewing her and she's like, ah, there, that, oh, this, this, this too. And then John felt Ryan who good Lord, he was the most boring talking head. I have, ever listened to i think in a documentary he just he seemed like he was completely disinterested in what he was saying yeah i would uh, would agree with that and then they come come back i think bill blakemore and jeffrey cox are with you can tell that they put a lot of time into their readings they were the most i thought well thought out of the theories 
But I would go a little bit further and just say that, you know, maybe Jack Nicholson just represents the entire history of the white race. So you're going to get little bits and pieces of everything. Yeah. And maybe not I, even I the, could... the white race, just the human race in general and all the well, atrocities that we've. Yeah. And their, and their theories are very similar. Yeah. Like they're both their theories are very similar and, and I, I could, I could agree with that. And for me, this just reaffirms that the thing that we discussed when we had our Haneke round table, it all depends on what your past experiences are. Uh, you know, what your teachings are, what you've learned over your life, you know, your own personal philosophies that you have are going to essentially shape what you think or what you're going to take away from film. Cause like Blake Moore, you know, grew up in Chicago and was around and very in tune to the whole native American experience. So of course he's going to take that away from it. And then mm-hmm. Jeffrey Cox, he was like, it seemed like he was a historian mm-hmm. who focused on world war two. So of course he's going to make that correlation you know what I mean? It just, it all depends on who you are. Right. And and I think that, I don't think that any of the theories necessarily have to be mutually exclusive either. No. You know what? Like he could be talking about the genocide of whatever, you know, whatever people and also be trying to give a jab at the government for, you know, having him fake the moon landing and all that stuff. And there is there is more to the the theories behind the moon landing that that guy doesn't get into in this movie, and I think that it's just because he wants people to see his movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, I, I, and he, that's he even sort of, yeah, that's what sort of pissed me off in the film. I and he plugs say. he plugs his movie in this movie. Yeah, it, which I, I thought was terrible. I, and the the one part when the guy has to get up and because his like kids yelling in the background. Uh, I enjoyed that. <laughs> enjoyed that. I mean, to get back to what you were saying on a technical level, I thought it was interesting the way that they went about the film. Instead of just showing the talking heads, you know, their faces yeah. and them discussing, you know, it's sort of played out through various films, you know, with eyes mm-hmm. wide shut and using the shining and everything like that. And I thought that that was, I liked it. It kept me more engaged. Right. Than cutting to yeah. them talking. I, I, I thought that I also that was enjoyed fine. the music. I thought the music uh, that was, was well one thing that I was going to mention. The music is awesome in this movie. Music I loved it. is great, and it's done by William Houston and Jonathan Snipes. Yeah, I loved the score of this so, movie. Bravo to those guys. I do wish that they would have shown the talking heads at least once, or maybe have a, something about who they are. Yeah. You know, because it's like, I don't know who these people are, and... They talk. They talk about it. Most of them mention what they do, but at the same time, it's like uh, I don't know. I, I would have liked to have seen them at least once. Yeah. Um, but I think the big thing is that the big point of this movie is that it just it kind of raises awareness of that this isn't just a movie that's to be taken for face value. There's a lot going on. In this oh, yeah. movie. You should never take a Kubrick movie at face value. Never. And that's that's kind of why I like um I, I keep why do I keep forgetting his name? Dude. The Wait, guy. Wait more? <laughs> yeah. Waitner? Waitner? I'm sorry, I said wait more. I mixed him and Blake Moore's name together. 
Yeah, Jay Jay Widener. The the reason that I like his other films, he has two Kubrick's Odyssey movies that I know of, and I think he said he's working on a third one. And he goes into all of Kubrick's films. He doesn't focus on The Shining. He he goes into all of them, and he links them all together, and and comes up with like a big theory for all of them, and that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and I, I like mean, that. The and number then, one thing about this movie is I want to see this Shining. I so- almost <laughs> yeah yeah I I almost watched it directly after watching this. It does make you want to immediately oh, yeah. go watch The Shining, and it's almost to a point that you want to stop this movie. And just watch The Shining. Because <laughs> there was a couple of times where I was just like, you know what? I should just be watching The Shining yeah. instead of this. Try to try to pick out the things yourself. But a lot of the stuff you don't you just don't see when on a normal watch. Like some of the stuff yeah. you have to really be looking at things in the background. And now what did you think? Uh two questions. First, what did you think of the the person that played the movie forwards and backwards on top of each other? What did you think of that? I thought that was a very interesting idea, and I I liked it. That was very creative. Um, it looked it looked kind of crazy. It it did look crazy, um, but then again, you know, you're dealing with Kubrick. And, you know, this guy puts a lot of thought into what he's doing. And do you think he? Do you think he put? that much thought into it forwards and backwards i don't know i wouldn't put it past him i mean you can you can tell from the dissolves that he uses that he always has like a continuity throughout the entire yeah, film that, that and that was match up yeah which, and that was like a big a big thing like a lot of people were looking into the dissolves yeah, but i mean a lot of people do that that's not just kubrick a lot of people do you know dissolves and have things match up and you know, one shape turns into something else. So yeah, I, but I think what they were exploring was like the meanings, like the Hitler mustache. Yeah, but I mean that's another thing. If you spend so much time looking for things, you you're gonna find them. Yep, and you're gonna be able to justify everything you find to yourself. I wish <laughs> I just wish Kubrick was around to to respond to this. But he wouldn't talk to you anyways. I know. Kubrick doesn't I know. shit about anyone. <laughs> but uh, the one thing that i is when the guy's going through his fake moon landing shtick and which i thought was ridiculous but maybe it was because he was he wasn't giving us the good stuff because we're supposed to watch his other film this is that is what i'm guessing now um but when he's talking about like the key in the door moon room and number one he's talking about okay you have the capital letters because right. the O and was, the abbreviation yeah. of number is not capitalized, which I don't know why he finds that to be so odd because that's exactly. how you yes. abbreviate <laughs> the word number. But I also love that he's like, well, it can only spell two words, room and moon. And I'm thinking, well, what do you, you just get rid of an R? It's like, it can also spell moron. Yeah. And I wonder if he like if he realized that, and he was just like, "Well, I won't say that." Hopefully, no one will realize that. He no, because he in Kubrick's Odyssey, he does that same. He talks about that same theory, which is completely ridiculous. And now, it can only spell two words. Uh, it can spell three. the The idea of that room representing the moon, and I, I can see that, but. 
the whole key thing. I thought that the that the how Kubrick changed it from two seventeen to two thirty seven and that theory. I thought that that was interesting. Yeah, I'm just that. To me, it's one of those things that your initial reading is good. I'm with you, but then you keep trying to find like more evidence, right? And, and that's it what, slowly devolves into where you're just—I mean, you're reaching. Yeah, and that's exactly how every conspiracy video is. You see any of these, like the the loose change video, or even that new one that came out about Sandy Hook. All of these conspiracy theory videos there will be some things where you're like you know what that is really weird and then they'll do something and be like moon room and you're just like all right (laughs) (laughs) ah yeah got me son of a bitch (laughs) i did think that a lot of the continuity errors were very interesting though like the how uh, specifically the when the kid was playing on the on the carpet and how they reversed it how the next shot was he was facing the different a different direction. Yeah, but I mean, you could even look at that as a just. Um, uh, I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this. I mean, you can just look at that as you know minor head games that he's playing since you're dealing with a character that's slowly losing his mind. Yeah, it could be, or it could be a genuine continuity error. There might have been something for for some reason they might have just missed it or you know not been able to get the right angle or the right shot or the lighting got messed up or something or maybe even in a stroke of genius kubrick has put in these little continuity errors or you know where things disappear and reappear uh sort of as a an attempt as an own like mental labyrinth of the film where he wants you to keep looking and looking and looking but you're not really going to find anything and that's and that yeah that's that could be the case. I mean, they do say in the movie that he, before making this movie, he did a lot of research on subliminal messaging and that type of thing. So maybe that is that's the point of all of it is that he wants you to feel that you are making a descent into madness along with the characters. Yeah, I mean, when you're stating that a room, room key can only spell two words. I, I think he succeeded. I know that I know that when I see a sticker of dopey on a door and then don't see it anymore, I'm going crazy. <laughs> or the disappearing chair. The disappearing chair and the fact that that man was carrying that rug everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing. I would. When, I think that was John Fell Ryan. That was part of his thing when he's talking. I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What? He's carrying a rug. That man is carrying a rug everywhere. <laughs> and I love the, okay. I thought it was funny. The, the playgirl thing. I yes. That that was, I, I didn't know that. That was interesting. But also to come back to the whole, uh, like maybe, you know, saying that Nicholson represents the human race or the white race or whatever it is. You know, how they're talking about the importance of Danny retracing his steps in the labyrinth, you know, to get away from his Mm -hmm. father. I -hmm. think it's maybe Kubrick saying that, you you know, you have to you have to go back through the history to learn from it. Mm. That's the only way that you can progress. Sounds like sounds like somebody needs to be on uh, 237 part two. That's right. I I am available. Rodney Asher. 
right? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Rodney well, I think I think any way you look at it, it's an interesting movie. It's worth watching. It's like a it's a better version of like the YouTube videos that you see. But I, I didn't think it was anything groundbreaking. No, it's Other definitely not music. groundbreaking. It's definitely interesting though. Yeah. I think if you're into Kubrick and if you like The Shining, you will get a lot out of this because it's just even if you don't agree with the theories that they talk about, it's still kind of interesting to think about. And it's one of those things that you'll never you'll never know. So it's almost pointless, but at the same time it's just kind of fun to Yeah, I mean that's theorize. the part of, that's the part of the fun. And it, it's also a testament to Kubrick's ability to create great art. Because to me, the art is, it's essentially what you do. You make something out of nothing and then leave it up to other people to turn it into something for themselves, which a decent amount of people in this documentary have spent a long time creating this film into something that means something more to them. Right. And I guess that's, that's the point of it all. All right. Room 237. What are you going to give that bad boy out of 10? Uh, I give it a six. I think I gave, uh, well, I gave it a two and a half on Letterboxd, but I would give it more than a five. Like, see, my ratings on Letterboxd don't coincide with my 10 out of 10 scores. Yeah. Like, I don't just, you know, divide or multiply. Like, it, 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 they're kind of mute. They're exclusive of one another. So I would probably give it a five and a half. I can say one thing that I really wish that I did is I wish I that I watched The Shining first. Because, yeah. again, I haven't seen The Shining in a long time. And and when I did see it, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, the smartest person. And not to say that I'm smart now, but, you know, I have a little more experience and, you know, learning under my belt. So it would have been more, f- I think it would have been more fun to, come up with my own reading of the film and then watch to room 237. Mm. And I wish, I wish I did that before I watched this. Yeah, me too. I, I wish I would have watched Cause, it. Cause now if I go back and watch it, I'm going to be looking for things that they talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So well, there uh, you have it. Room 237. I, I would recommend seeing it. It's interesting. Yeah. I would recommend to see, watch The Shining first and then watch this. Yeah, yeah. I would recommend watching The Shining first as well. All right. Let's move on. Go over our predictions. Good day to die hard. You said 52. I said 56. Actual 16. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like uh, I, I wanted it to be a, a good die hard. Apparently, it was a bad day to die hard. Uh, what, what number is that, too? That's the fifth one. Fifth one. Awesome. Yep. I think it's got a worse rating than the last one, which really the last one wasn't good either. So good stuff. I think that's it for Die Hard. Hopefully. I'm just, I'm such a huge fan of Die Hard, especially mostly one and three, but (laughs) They're they're trying their best to make you reverse that decision. Yeah, it it's like, like the it's like the last two. They're not even Die Hard movies. They're just action movies with Bruce Willis. Yeah, like the the feel of the Die Hard movies. And I don't know if you've seen Die Hard one or three recently, but they're so good. Yeah, I, oh, mean, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I watched I watched the first one, and 
around Christmas, and I was like, this movie is so amazing. <laughs> like, it's so it's much just, fun. It's just fantastic, but apparently the new one's not. Wow. Beautiful Creatures, you said 46, I said 42, actual 45. Ooh, nice. Um, beautiful Creatures. And then we have Safe Haven, yes. you said 20, I said 24, actual 13. Mm. Oh <laughs> Almost better than a good day to die hard. Not <laughs> almost better. <laughs> not good. All right, and then we have next week Snitch with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, what God. are you thinking on this bad boy? I'm thinking thirty six. Thirty six. I'm gonna say forty two on Snitch. I don't know. It's probably gonna be average. I'm not really. I'm not planning on seeing it. <laughs> And then we have Dark Skies. Let me say that this film looks ridiculous. I thought you were going to say it looks amazing. No, it just <laughs> looks so stupid. Dark Skies, I'm going to say 35. I'm going to say 10. <laughs> uh, you, I think you're probably going to win that. <laughs> guess we'll find out. And those are really the only two that are coming uh, out. That's it. That's all that's coming out. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But so many, so many great movies next weekend. There's a bunch coming out in limited release, but those are the two, the two biggies. Uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, February nineteenth, two thousand thirteen. We have Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Oh, what do you think? Are you gonna get Kar- this a watch? Karenina. Karina, you gonna give this a watch? Uh, I probably will. I'm not. Probably will. I know because you're you're such a big fan of period pieces. You'll. <laughs> I am. I'm a huge fan. Give that a watch. Huge. Uh, Argo. Highly recommend this if you haven't checked it out yet. Definitely see it before the Oscars because it probably will change if you're if you're doing an Oscar pull. Might change your. That's right. Your pick. I'm. That's. I think when we did our Oscar prediction show, I think I picked Argo, and I'm st- I'm sticking with that. Sticking with it. Sticking with Argo. Atlas Shrugged Part Two. Thank There's God. like to call it Part Two. About time. Finally get to see this. I know. I'm pretty excited. It's big fan of the Atlas Shrugged series. How can you not be a big fan of Atlas Shrugged? I didn't know anything about the the movies, the books. I didn't know anything about it until the first movie came out. knew knew nothing. Like didn't even register for me. Yeah. That's how little I cared about this <laughs> series. Mm. And it got the first one got panned by critics. The second one got torn to shreds by critics. So nice. I would probably recommend skipping that one. Dietrich Bader is in it though. Just to give you a heads up. <laughs> That changes everything. <laughs> uh, fun size. Is that Nickelodeon yeah. movie about Halloween? Oh, that sounds terrible. Uh, yeah, it looks pretty terrible. So skip that one. And then we have Sinister. I'm excited this was, for this one. This was actually one of my top horror movies of 2012. This is the one with Ethan Hawke. I really enjoyed this movie. This, okay. was, this was good. Yeah, I can't wait to see this. And we have Sushi Girl. Oh, yeah? This is with Candyman. I always forget his name, but I just know him <laughs> as Candyman. 
and Mark Hamill. <sighs> looks pretty bad. Looks like another one of these Tarantino ripoffs. And Undefeated, the documentary, the football documentary. I definitely recommend that. It's a tearjerker, though. So be, be forewarned. It is a tearjerker. And finally, just for fun, Bath Salt Zombies. Yes, I was hoping that you would mention this film. Of course. How can I not mention Bath Salt Zombies? Has a great cover. Any, uh, any like, criterions or anything? Uh, I have two. One criterion and another uh, a, uh, an American independent film. It seems to be... I don't know. I've heard, I've heard about this a couple of times. Uh, North Sea, Texas, which is an independent film. It's a you know, coming-of-age tale. I've read good things about it. I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm interested yet or not. But apparently it's a teenage boy's search for love finds him fixated on the boy next door. Mm. I don't know. It's gotten good reviews, though. And the criterion is the Marlon Brandau classic on the waterfront. Oh, okay. Is that on Blu-ray? The, uh, Brandau? It, has, it has to be one of like, one of the, like the iconic performances, I would say. Yeah. I would, I would definitely agree with you on that. Even, even, even back when I didn't know anything about film, I still knew about this performance. Yeah. It just seems like it's collective knowledge. Yeah, I think so. I, I've never seen the movie. I've seen it's like, parts. It's like one of those things where even though I haven't seen it, yeah, exactly. I know, yeah, I like I know the big iconic scenes. So, so that well, is out on Blu-ray. So I think I might finally get around to watching on the waterfront. Cool. Well, I think that wraps it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. We want to hear your feedback. Send us an email, feedbackfilmpulse.net, or call our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I am Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie when we have him watch Tooth Fairy. Yes. Trouble was awesome. <laughs> Female trouble was awesome.